Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where lackadaisical overtime games against bad opponents and a sluggish half-court offense aside, make no mistake about it, the Lakers and Lego Wests are still taking those freaking hobbits to motherfucking Isengard. <laughs> uh, so welcome back to the longbowed shooter, Wes Matthews, a.k.a. Lego Wes, coined by uh, Tommy over here, uh, who was instrumental in last night's Lakers win against the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder down the stretch. Uh, especially after having sat out the last few games, uh, the Lakers have won five straight games now, even though it may not feel like it, and they sit atop the Western Conference at number two. I'm joined by my co-host, uh, Tommy Alexander. We may get Alan Riley popping in at some point. We have literally a reverse situation from last episode where I was saying, we've got Alan and Tommy may pop in at some point. He never <laughs> did. So I don't know. Maybe maybe Alan will buck the trend and we'll actually have all three of us here on this podcast for the first time this season, uh, which is crazy. Uh, but anyways, Tommy, welcome back to the show. Uh, your thoughts on the weekend? Um, you mean like Lakers wise or like the Super Bowl? Yeah, the the weekend performance. Oh, the weekend performance. Yeah, it was um I thought it was fine. I don't know, was it controversial? <laughs> I usually I <laughs> No, I mean I I I there was no real setup or thought behind this. Uh forget about the okay. weekend. Uh let's talk about the Lakers. We are 19 and 6. Um before we dive into like the nitty-gritty of things, uh just what is your one-word sentiment to describe um, if you can come up with one word to describe how you're feeling about this team in the last uh, few weeks, what would it be? I know I'm putting you on the spot there, but uh, yeah. Um, hmm. I would probably say... I would probably say apathetic. I, it's hard for me to get to... And I mean that like the way I feel about the team and mm -hmm. I feel like how the team approaches a lot of their games. You know what I mean? Like they... We'll talk about this a little bit more, but it does feel like they are really viewing this. I mean, we're 25 games into the season, so we're about a third of the way through in the shortened season. Uh, a little more than a third, I guess. So I don't know if there's ever... Go if there's going to be a point where they turn it on. I mean, there certainly still is time to start to keep building it up until you decide to turn it on, but it feels like they're not taking it super, super seriously. And that translates to the effort on the court, right? It's like, we want to see high intensity, uh, 
basketball because that's when the best basketball comes out. And I just worry that, you know, I don't know how much longer it's going to be like this, but you know, it, it sort of feels like a lot of nights, like we're not necessarily getting that. Like we're still winning the games. You mentioned we're second place. Mm-hmm. We're 19 and six. I mean, it's so hard to complain about being 19 and six, but it just like so many of our wins, um, uh, particularly against some of the lesser teams have just felt like we kind of coasted and, you know, yeah. tried for the last five minutes and then won, which is fine. And look, that's what good teams can do. That's what championships teams can do. But as a fan, it kind of makes it uh, a little tough to watch at, t- at times. Yeah, you're kind of lulled into that boredom the same way the Lakers approach it on the court. I felt the same way. My Not until like Kuzma, Caruso, and THT come in, am I like, okay, here's some energy. Let's go. What, what are you guys going to do? Um, going through the motions is probably the phrase to use right now for the Lakers. Um, before we, we delve deeper into the Lakers, though, I, I, I used Wes Matthews as my intro there. So what were your thoughts on Lego Wes's return there? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of question Frank's uh, decision to leave him in the closing lineup because I don't think he's done that a lot this season at all. But, I mean, the right. dude came through in a huge way. He hit like four threes, played pretty good defense. And I think Wes Matthews, I think, credited Frank Vogel this entire time for communicating very transparently with him what the plan was. And clearly the plan was to uh, put him and Markeith Morris on ice for a little bit because THT was DNP for two or three games as well. And I think he appreciated that communication. And I think that bodes well for the team as a whole, given how much we've talked about what a tough juggling act Frank Vogel has uh, with this talented group this year. But yeah, what are your thoughts on, on Wes Matthews' return? Uh, I thought it was like the quintessential veteran performance, you know, like, like this is exactly the type of veteran you need on a championship caliber team. There are going to be times where, I mean, like, let's, let's be real. Wes is not a top three, four, five, six player on this team. Like there is a very talented team and he is not going to just by virtue of being a vet be guaranteed minutes. And, you know, that's what happened. Taylor, Taylor Horton Tucker has been amazing. And frankly, since he's improved his defense has been just like, so it's been, you know, you feel bad not playing him because he's earned the minutes and, and like he needs to develop and he brings such an interesting dynamic that you kind of want to bring out a bit more because it's a potentially a guy who could help you, you know, down, certainly down the road in in the coming years, but even this season. Um, So you need to develop that. But at the same time, you're going to lean on some of your veterans to win, uh, pull out, you know, close playoff games for you, as we saw last year. And Wes, you know, was not playing horrible. Like I, frankly, and I hate to say this because Markeith was such an important part of our run last year. Markeith was not playing well um, Mm -hmm. on either end, really, before he got benched. His three-point shooting was, I mean, over a pretty big sample size, had taken a very large dip. His defense... At times he seemed a little bit slow, which was interesting because we were playing him at more, much more at like a stretch five role. And you would think he would be like speed wouldn't be an issue for him at that position. But, you know, I, I was overall fairly unimpressed with Markeith this season, but Wes was actually playing pretty well. You know, I currently, and obviously this factors in last night, but, you know, he's shooting about his career averages from the field. He's shooting above his, slightly above his career averages, hitting 40% from three this year. Overall, playing very, very well. Um, you know, he doesn't get to the line very much, but 80% from the line. Like, 
playing solid defense when he was playing earlier. There was not really a reason he shouldn't have been playing other than Caruso and THD have been so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see a guy like that, you know, NBA veteran, been in the league 12 years, like 34 years old, like on some very good teams in his career, go to like be pushed to the end of the bench, get cut out of the rotation for six games, come back in and just, you know, score 16 points, nail a bunch of big threes, play outstanding defense down the stretch. And yeah, I mean, to your point, it was surprising that Vogel played him in some ways, but maybe unsurprising in others. You know, Vogel likes to do this thing where he, when one guy's out, he'll just like slot a different guy into that exact role and rotation just so he doesn't throw off the other rotations. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, you know, with the decision to start Markeith instead of Kuz, you know, you can kind of see him heading that direction with the decision to um, let West close games where Caruso might otherwise be closing. You kind of saw that as well, but I, I, you know, I, I think it's a very, it was a very, very good performance by West, a very good sign. And the interview, you know, the quote that you mentioned is super telling mm-hmm. and it's going to be so important for Vogel to continue to do this throughout the season because we might not play marquee for long stretches, but when we need a stretch four or stretch big five, you know, in the playoffs, we might go to him and he needs to be ready. Right. Yeah. And same thing with Wes, we might not, he might go stretches of games where he doesn't play, but if we play a game that has like a team that has a bunch of wings and we need extra wing defenders on the floor, like we might throw them out there. Um, so I, I, I think if that was that, you know, beyond Wes's performance, hearing that from that quote from him um, about how Vogel's approaching things was, was definitely was great to hear as well. Yeah, I agree. I didn't realize he was out for six games. That's crazy. Um, but I, I think like to your point, uh, what we saw these last few games with Wes being totally out and then finally back in in a big way, it's sort of like a microcosm for what we can expect in the playoffs and sort of what we saw last year with JaVale and Dwight, right? Where they were pretty much phased out for entire series and then come right. Denver series, Dwight, we need you to step up and uh, you know body up Jokic for a little bit. And he did a great and solid job. And then in the finals, he was out again, you know? But it almost right. gives... Uh, Frank Vogel license to be able to and the and luxury to continue to develop THT throughout the regular season without having to worry, am I totally burying West Math and Marquise to the point where if I need them at a certain point, uh, it'll take some adjustment and some time for them to catch their bearings. And not that, you know, this is always going to happen where Wes Matthews sits out for six games and all of a sudden he puts up four threes the first game you insert him in. But it's just nice to know that, yes, I mean, these are veterans. They have communicated with each other behind the scenes and they know what's expected of them. And I think that is important to carry through till the end of the season, especially with how weird and wonky this season is. And especially with, again, what a tough juggling act Frank Vogel has um, to sort of balance here. Uh, And what we can get into it later too, just talking about how at the start of the season, we're like, oh yeah, we're 11 deep. And then you're starting to see when it comes to continuity and cohesion, how that can be a problem when everybody's healthier, everybody's active. And you're just like, yeah, maybe it's not a good idea to go a full season literally playing 11 guys every single game. And I think uh, right. Frank's sort of uh, coming across that that problem. And I, 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 I don't envy his uh, situation right now, having to also behind the scenes, you know, be diplomatic with all of his players who I'm sure he loves and enjoys working with, et cetera, et cetera. Um, okay, with that said, uh, just to give people an outline of the rest of this episode, I will just... Uh, 
give the lay of the land of this team. And Tommy, I'll pitch it to you in terms of any concerns you have or any topics you want to touch upon since you haven't been on. We'll take it to break and then we'll talk about Schroeder sort of finding his groove and his relation to THT also finding his groove because one, Schroeder is eligible for an extension, I think in the next week that can net him up to his max, I think, if they agree to do that, uh, him and the Lakers. And then obviously there have been talks with... uh, there have been talks around the league of teams potentially poison-pilling THT, giving him the Gilbert Arenas rule contract uh, this summer, um, and what the Lakers will do in that event. I mean, to be clear, the Lakers can pay guys however much they want to pay them. It, the real problem is how much luxury tax will they want to pay, but we'll get into that later. Um, with that said, uh, the Lakers, as you mentioned, 19-6, and six, were pretty much a third of the way through the season, um, and there have been a number of things going on with this team. One, LeBron James continues his torrid MVP pace as the team continues to try and find its, I don't know, identity amidst all of the weirdness and the the shuffling rotations and just trying to maintain health and whatnot. Um, Second, Anthony Davis is very clearly not 100% physically, and he's a bit nicked and bruised. He sat out the last game, and a lot of people have been questioning um, his efforts. And he's already admitted, like, yo, the, the offseason threw me off, that championship run, and then the quick turnaround threw me off more than anybody. And also just the fact that he is a freakish human being with unnatural limbs and arms or whatever, you know, it makes sense that you may want to proceed with caution and, and kind of treat him more carefully than you would any other player. Um, and then we've got THT gaining so much steam that it's undeniable and almost looks silly if you don't play him because he's not even giving you the common rookie mistakes to give you license to pull him anymore, right? Um, right. We've got Kuzma turning into one of our most reliable defenders, which is nuts. Um, and then Schroeder being on, being on an offensive tear and finding his groove uh, these last few games and being super efficient doing it as well. Um, that all leads to the Lakers still being number one in defensive rating. They are number three in total net rating. Uh, their offense has slipped, and I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Their half-court offense has looked uh, very uneven and mucked up, to say the least, especially that starting unit. Uh, but we're still number eight in offensive rating. So yeah, for me, I mean, it, it still feels like we are a bipolar mishmash of talented guys, um, disconnected parts, sort of, but still getting the job done and winning, um, but not in a pretty way. And there have been a couple of times for me where I've just wondered why Frank doesn't go for the more optimal and intuitive lineup or stagger the personnel so it makes more sense with their individual skill sets. And again, I understand he's had a tough juggling act to uphold here all season. He's managing so many personalities and expectations, and we're just glad that he's maintained communication. So, Tommy, with all all these things going on and Vogel still figuring things out, and maybe he's been semi-overwhelmed at, you know, all this too, how much of all this and the Lakers' unevenness is um, just the natural case of this is what uh, this first third of the season is pretty much our bubble season, what we saw from the bubble last year. Uh, And now as we round into the second third, uh, maybe we'll start to see the tightening of things and and rotations and whatnot. How much of it is, um, is just default, that's the case? How much of it is Frank Vogel's holding his cards close to his vest and, well, duh, you know, Gasol works well with Car- with Caruso, Kuzma, and THT. That's a devastating grouping, but Frank just doesn't want to unleash that enough. And 
Yeah, I guess I guess where do you pinpoint the unevenness of this this team thus far? Do you do you feel like it's been an uneven season? You mentioned it being apathetic for the team, but I guess where do you I'd, I'd, I'd imagine you don't think this is an unsolvable thing, but at what point are you like, all right, let's get this uh, engine chugging along and with more cohesion? Because right now, I mean, it's just a lot of disconnected parts. Anthony Davis is doing his own thing, trying to get healthy. LeBron's on his MVP thing to stem the tide. Uh, Schroeder's trying to get comfortable. THT is doing his own thing, trying to become like our next superstar. And there's a lot of things going on, a lot, a lot of good things, but a lot of uneven things. What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I, I mean, this season is is going to be weird for a while. <laughs> and, and when it turns, I think we're going to forget about all of this really quickly. I, I would say mm-hmm. I think our team identity this year that I'm really happy we ended up finding um, has been defense. And I assume, yeah. you know, because it's like that's the big thing that everybody said, oh, they're losing Danny. Oh, they're losing JaVale. I don't know why JaVale gets brought into this, but they're, they're lo- losing JaVale. They're losing Dwight honestly a big one right like so that that means they're going to be a, a bad or a more uh an inferior defensive team compared to what they were last year and so defense was their identity last year they won the championship last year because of their defense and that they're not a defensive team anymore thus they're not going to be good and i think they've we talked about this so much before the season started but on paper you could very clearly say see a scenario where you know, given Frank's scheming and, and his mindset as a defensive coach, we could actually be better defensively. And I think that's been the case. I mean, last year we were hovering, you know, top three defense all season, but we are like far and away been number one this year. Um, and when we decide to like lock teams up, like they just can't score against us. You know what I mean? Like they can't do anything. Um, Oklahoma City, sure, they almost beat us. They We, t- we had to make a late game run to take it to overtime and win, but they shot 39% against us, you know what I mean? And and that's becoming a recurring theme where we're seeing like us holding opponents to under 40% in, you know, well, sure. We're losing on effort plays, like giving up 15 offensive rebounds, like having a bunch of sloppy turnovers, but we are playing very, very well defensively. My issue, the only issue I have with this team, well, I guess I have two, one on the defensive end, I would say I would really, and we have a 15 slot that we are, as of now, actually eligible to use. Um, I think it was like, we calculated at some point, it was like the end of January, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But certainly by the time the trade deadline comes and people are getting waived, we have a minimum slot to use for a 15th guy. I would really, really like to see us get a some sort of rim protector because, you know, function of this is, you know, AD, like you said, is just not, it doesn't seem as into it this year as he was last year consistently. But we are giving up I think we're 23rd in, at least before last night, we were 23rd in the league at points allowed at the rim. Hmm. And that's just like not going to get it done. It's pretty crazy considering that's the case and we're still number one defensively. Um, So just we're doing something right, but like that needs to be addressed because in the playoffs, teams are going to attack your weaknesses. And when you have a big glaring weakness like that, it's going to really stand out on the scouting report. So I would like to see that get cleaned up. Second thing I would like to another weird thing about that though is we're also leading the NBA in blocks, which people said we wouldn't do you know, after losing Javale and Dwight. But you know, again, but anyway, so half court maybe we're eighth offensive rating overall. I believe half court we're a bit worse than that. I think we're slightly below league average as a half court offensive team. Maybe yeah. we rose slightly last night, but um, 
I think, and, and look, Vogel has shown time and time again that he knows his guys. He knows what the right timing for everything is, and he knows when it's time to turn things on. Last year, it was very clear what our offensive identity was. Like, we were so deficient in terms of guys who could create offense that we had to run. And it would be like ball, like make or miss, like ball comes out of the net or off the rim. We are sprinting down to the other side. We led the NBA in fast break points. Sure, like we would pick and choose our moments, but the overall mindset was run. When you have an opportunity, run. When you think the defense is like taking a breath, run. And we had a really good feel for how to do that. And that helped us generate transition points making us, you know, I think we were number one in transition efficiency last year and number one in fast break points. Um, We are not seeing that this year. You know, this is a team that is so offensively talented in terms of individual players that I get the sense that Vogel is kind of holding back on Mm -hmm. exactly what he wants to do offensively. I mean, maybe I'm being foolishly optimistic about this, but this is a team that came in and scored 140 points or whatever, like the second game of the season, you know, your third game of the season, you know, so we can score. I, we, you know, first five to seven games of the season, I think we were number one or top three in offensive rating and we've just steadily fallen down. Um, but that's coincided with really ramping up the defense over that time. So I think we saw this at times last year. Um, I think Vogel knows, I'm not saying it's a flipping a switch on or off or anything like that. I just think he he probably knows that like eventually we'll get these guys offensively to where they need to be. But that mindset of defense needs to start from the beginning of the season because it needs to be second nature that you're going to give 110% on defense to win a championship. And he probably figures that I, everybody likes to play offense, so it won't be hard to like get there eventually. Right. But you know, we're doing some things right. We're hitting threes, but I would like to see us, you know, to the point you made uh, just a little bit ago, get a little bit more of an identity of what we are going to try to do offensively. Like last year, sprinting and in the half court, we'd throw it into the, run everything through the post. What are we going to do this year? Um, I'd like to see, see a little more of that. Yeah. And I think we're seeing, and maybe this is just how Vogel likes to play things. We see sprinklings here and there. And honestly, that's my only explanation for it, because there are some intuitive things that like, you could pick anybody off the street and say, what would you do here? And that guy would say, oh, I would give the ball to Marcus Gasol and have everybody cutting. And yet you have these like long stretches of games where one, Marcus Gasol is not even staggered with the right people. And then two, right. Marcus Gasol out there and uh, for whatever reason, he hasn't touched the ball in five possessions and he's rendered useless. He spaces the floor for you, but otherwise the ball sticks to AD, LeBron James or Dennis Schroeder and he is, you know, yeah, he's not doing anything. So my only explanation for that, and we've seen these random games where it's garbage time and Frank Vogel will insert Marcus Gasol with garbage guys, yeah. not necessarily garbage guys, but, you know, THT and Kuzma are still out there and you're like, well, this is random for Mark to be in there. Um, but to me, that just kind of indicates like, okay, he's he just doesn't want to show the full spectrum of what Marcus Gasol and what this team can do, uh, but he's showing it slivers or, you know, breadcrumbs of, of, uh, of what we can do, essentially, but not showing yeah. the full picture yet, uh, which is, a, which is, I think that has been the case, especially with all of a sudden Marcus Gasol and Schroeder being staggered more with the bench lineup and him working around 
you know, we've got that, you know, energy unit with uh, Kuzma, THT, uh, Caruso, Trez, and LeBron. But we've also seen those three guys, uh, namely Caruso, Kuzma, and THT with Marcus Gasol as well, Marcus Gasol and Schroeder. So, again, I think it's Vogel continuing to see what pieces work together. He is Rubik's cubing all of these things. And I think at the end of the day, he knows uh, that at any two-and-a-half-minute two stretch, uh, Marcus Gasol can get three assists. And I think we saw that last night. He had a nice give-and-go to LeBron James for, like, an alley-oop dunk. Uh, he had a nice give-and-go to Dennis Schroeder for an easy lay-in. So um, when I see plays like that, I'm like, why don't we just do that all the freaking time? And right. I get it. You don't want teams to scheme against all the different ways that Marcus Gasol can cut up your defense. And right now, LeBron James has his MVP thing going on, and Frank's just giving him license to... Do that to stem the tide while we get things figured out. So I, I totally buy that. Um, all right. With that said, before we take it to break, just wanted to remind everyone to please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. And please also rate and interview us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Because the more you rate and interview us five stars, that's how many more... Um, reverse carpal tunnel layups uh, THT will do where he has the perfect AP English off of his fingers to get it in against outstretched arms. I mean, at this point, how what percentage do you think that dude is shooting on reverse layups? Because I'm pretty sure it's like 95% because I have not seen THT get blocked yeah, on when that he shot. Goes to the, when he goes to the reverse, you know it's going in. It's so sick, <laughs> He's dude. He's better at that. Dude, his wingspan, like, when he just unfurls his... You can tell that... I mean, certainly people aren't scouting him yet, which is, I think, playing to his advantage. But you can tell they're just, like, surprised yeah. when he's on the floor. Because, like, on both ends, on offense, his arms just extendo reach to the rim for layups that he shouldn't make. They should be blocked. And then on defense, he contests shots on the perimeter that he should not be able to contest. Um, but anyway, I... Yeah. It's well... Yeah, we'll get to THT yeah. after the break. But yes, if you want more of those reverse scoops with his wrist going a full 360 just to bank it into the basket, please rate and interview us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Also, if you'd like to help us out in any small way financially, please go to patreon.com slash Podcast and donate a dollar today. All right, with that said, we'll take it to break um, and we'll, before we get to the sponsors, uh, our Apple Podcast review of the night. Tonight's Apple Podcast Review of the Night will be brought to you once again by our impressionist extraordinaire, Tommy Alexander, who will be reading it as Kyle Kuzma's pashmina scarf that he wears in those ridiculous photo shoots. So this one's a tricky one. Um, but with that said, Kyle Kuzma's pashmina, take it away. <clears throat> this review is entitled Laker Talk for your ride two it's cut off so i'm sorry right to where (laughs) the review is by david vu 999 nice and quick not too technical or stat heavy your real fan commentary on the game and the best team in the nba there you go nice and quick and not too technical or stat heavy is exactly how we like it as well isn't that right Hey. hey so that was a great reading as kyle kuzma's pashmina scarf uh, what went into that channeling of yours? Uh, it's, a, it's a tricky scarf to put on, but Kyle Kuzma does it well. Uh, yeah, what went into your channeling of Kyle Kuzma's pashmina? I, you know, I just tried to think about what it would what it would feel like to be the littest fashion item of of the year, and I, and I just went with that. I like it. 
I like the peacock pattern on that scarf that Kyle Kuzma wears in that one particular photo shoot because peacocks, Arcadia, it's our thing. All right, thank you, Kyle Kuzma's Pashmina. All right, so we're back. Before we get into talking about Schroeder and THT, I just wanted to highlight once again the evolution that we've seen uh, from Kyle Kuzma. He had another double-double last night. Somehow he went one of nine from three. I think eight of those were wide open. Yeah, that's crazy. He just had a bad night. I mean, LeBron was two for ten, and I think Schroeder was one for six. So the guys just didn't have their legs. Regardless, outside of that, I think Kuzma, especially in the first half there, really sparked this team and gave it the energy that it was so sorely lacking. And it once again came in, crashing the boards, getting these blocks, uh, playing tremendous defense, moving his feet. There was one play where Shea Gilgis pretty much isoed against Kuzma, and he couldn't do anything against Kuzma. He went all the way into the lane, and Kuzma absolutely impeded him and harassed his shot. And I don't think I remember a time where I felt comfortable with Kuzma isoed against, you know, a wing like that or a guard like that. And I was like, yeah, you don't need to send any help. Um, But Kuzma had another double-double last night. He has six double-doubles on the year, which already surpasses his total amount of doubles the last two years. Um, Yeah, it's crazy. He had 17 his rookie year, if you can believe it or not, actually, which is a lot. Um, But with the six double-doubles he has this year, he's on pace for that exact number, but in seven minutes less per game. So, absolutely nuts. He has 18 blocks on the season, so he just needs eight more to match the total of blocks he had last year. So, I mean, (laughs) on all ends, in in like 23 minutes a game, Kyle Kuzma is really um, defending his ass off and doing all the little things. And most of all, I think, doing what Caruso usually does and just injecting this team with energy. So, your quick thoughts again on Kuzma. Garbage man Kuz. Yeah, garbage McCoos. I, I will say I really like his game this year. We talked about this before the season too, but I said if he, I don't care if he scores ten points a game, you know he doesn't. You need don't to care score if he goes one for nine from three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't care if he scores ten points a game as long as he's hitting an efficient rate from three and playing defense. And he is really up the defense. Like early in the season, it kind of felt like he wasn't there. We kind of forgot what what worked for him last year. But when he locks in. He is, I mean, he is guarding one through four at least. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes fives if they're not like in a, if they're not like Jokic. Yeah. But, I mean, well, he had some good plays yeah. against Jokic even. It's, he did it's, actually. It's weird. <laughs> he did. So like, he's holding his own. And if he continues to play like this, I just continue to think we got such a steal on his extension because mm-hmm. there are not a lot of six, nine guys who do this kind of stuff. Um you know, he his, he doesn't get a ton of steals for some reason, which is weird because I feel like he's so active. But as a positional right. defender, he's been so solid. His blocks have been insane. I mean, and it feels like it's all come in this come somewhat recent stretch. Like, if if you take out the first five, ten games of the season, I wonder if he must be averaging over a block a game in, in like, the last 15 yeah. or so. So. You know, he's he all that's been great. Um, he was shooting 39% from three before last night, which single handedly dropped him to 37. To 37. <laughs> yeah. But hopefully, look, it, it's a basketball is a game of you know runs and averages. And and if he if we'll see, is this a regression to his mean, which is like 33%, or is this a small hiccup in what will eventually be, you know, a rise to his mean of 30 or stay at 37 or go up to 38, you know, something like that. If he stays in the mid to high thirties for, you know, a six, nine forward, I think that's pretty good from three and everything else he does, he does has been amazing. And look, at the end of the day, those shots that he took were 
wide open. So the, they were good shots. What he has to do is just correct that and hit them next time, which he has been doing for yeah. the most part this season. And I feel like for him, as with the defense, his offense has also everything's been more simplified. And Kuzma's kind yeah. of cut out the fluff. And I think you're just seeing that manifest itself on the court in a lot of different ways. And it's been great to see. All right, so let's talk about uh, Schroeder first. We haven't talked about him a lot. Um, he was struggling for a hot minute there offensively, kind of in his own world, yeah. just trying to find his rhythm, um, kind of tunnel visioning himself into some bad shots, bad efficiency games, turnovers, not really looking for his teammates. And then in this last stretch, I mean, he's gone 6 of 10, 7 of 9, 7 of 9, 16, 21, 22, 19 points last night, although his efficiency dropped a little, 6 for 16. Um, he's also been dishing the ball out better. Um, and finding, I think, a, a better groove, uh, getting staggered a little bit more with the bench unit and whatnot. And so what what have you seen from Schroeder and, and what do you where do you attribute his progress to? I know before his uh, recent stumble, I asked you, what would you uh, extend this? What, what, what contract would you give this guy uh, once it's when he once he's he's allowed to make more than 17 million a year which I think is as soon as next uh, week and you said I'll give him 20 million dollars and then for me I saw what happened like the next 10 games and I'm like I don't know if I give him 20 million dollars to be honest with you because one he's taking minutes away from THT and um, THT is starting to bring the defense and I don't know why you can't just uh make it work with THT without having an impediment in Schroeder's case. And I also forget, forgot to mention uh, Schroeder's biggest attribute, which has carried through uh, for the whole season, which has been his pesky defense and just how much fight and grit he's really brought to the table. And that's right. been, I think, the most surprising thing. Um, but now that he's sort of rebounded and regained some footing offensively, which I think you always thought was going to happen anyways, um, are you back to that place of, yeah, let's just give him $20 million? And I guess this is like a multi-tiered question, but I think you can get to it all. Um, in that same respect, with, with the rise that you've seen from THT, are you okay knowing what the Lakers may have to match for THT or may have to give him contract-wise, giving Dennis Schroeder $20 million and then also giving THT a similar sort of contract over a span of like four years, you know? And how does that, how does weighing THT being the future and um, giving Dennis Schroeder, you know, a contract that may not look that great in years three and four, but knowing that you at least, at the very least, have an asset to flip? Yeah, how, do, how are you weighing all those things? But I guess you can start with uh, Dennis Schroeder sort of finding a groove recently. Yeah, so Schroeder. I think he's an interesting case. Like he started off the season, preseason, early season, so strong. You kind and he obviously was a runner-up, six man of the year last year. So you're kind of like, oh wow, in the right setting, is this guy like basically an all-star? And the reality is, I maybe in a good year, but I think more likely he is just one of these like very solid players, but very solid players who aren't all-stars may have some down months. I mean, mm -hmm. God help us. We remember what KCP did early to start the season <laughs> last year, right? Like that guy was like, I, I mean, people were like, how is this fool even in the league? Right. And, and, and by the time the season, it's a long season. And by the time the season was over, all of that stuff felt like such a, I mean, it felt like eons ago. Right. And, and I think we're kind of seeing something similar with Schroeder and five games that we played, um, in December, he was shooting 51% from the field and 39% from three, scoring 18 points a game, five assists, 
incredibly high efficiency playing defense still. But then we had a brutal January, dude. I mean, during the time, I feel like I didn't really notice this, but when I went back and looked at the calendar, we played 16 games in January. I mean, that's like a pretty quick and aggressive... Pretty much a game every, every other day, yeah. Pretty much a game every other day averaged over the course of a month, and that tends to wear guys down, right? Like in a normal season, sure, you have maybe some a few more back-to-backs, but you also have much more of these random two, three nights off. And because of this condensed season, I think we're seeing a little bit less of that. But anyway, um, in that in that very tough stretch in January, over 16 games, he shot 38% from the field, 26% from three. Here we are back in February, fifty-nine in four games, 59% from the field, 40% from three. So it's possible in the grand scheme of the season, and obviously it's early, so it's kind of it's. I realize I'm making kind of a silly argument, but it's possible January is a big sample size in this small section of the season. But that is just a, a blip, you know. By the time we get to the end, and maybe more of his months by by the end of the season will resemble, you know, December and so far early February, and get him more into where we're expecting. I, you know, when, when it comes to taking that and trying to figure out how does that translate to value in a contract, it's so hard to say because although Schroeder is a guy who we can legitimately rely on, I think if he figures out his role in this offense and figures out how to work with LeBron and AD, who we can legitimately rely on to be a 16, 17 point per game scorer, like as a championship team, having LeBron and AD, it almost makes you take that kind of thing for granted. But those guys don't like grow on trees. And and certainly for a team that's capped out, it's not going to be easy to duplicate that kind of, you know, uh, output is during the window that LeBron and AD are trying to be the most competitive. Um, I think Schroeder holds a lot of value because of what he can do offensively. But this dude, like, again, I, I don't think the stats reflect how m- much he brings to the table defensively. I mean, it's like having a guy who can get you 19 points or, you know, 17 points a game, having a guy who can get you five assists, be an extra ball handler, by the way, hit clutch free throws because he's an 84% free throw shooter, you know, or sorry, maybe not 84%, but he's like an 80 something, 81% free throw shooter. Um all of those things are so valuable. And when you tack on top of it, the fact that he can just lock dudes up defensively um, whenever he wants pressure full court and never seems to run out, run out of energy. Like it's not easy. I, and like, I love Taylor Horton Tucker. He's the future, um, but it's not easy to replicate this. And I hope that that gets taken into consideration. I still would give him the money, frankly. I mean, I don't know how they're viewing their long-term uh, cap game here with the Lakers, but, and, and I'm sure part of this is going to be contingent on, unless they extend them during the season, I'm sure part of this will be contingent on what happens with uh, THT. But, you know, Schroeder has like a very, very clear role. He's only 27. He has plenty more years of prime effectiveness. And we've just seen like the surface of what he can bring to a team. He'll continue to bring more. He hit some clutch jump shots last night. I think was a huge step towards, you know, what he's going to do for us um, in the playoffs. Uh, I feel like his decision-making with AD and LeBron has improved quite a bit. You know, early in the season, I you would comment uh, quite a few times that his decision-making was left a lot to be desired, which was fair. Mm-hmm. If you look at the stats, he was averaging three turnovers a game in December. That's down to 1.8 despite, you know, the same number of assists. Um, 
so all of these things are trending in the right direction for me. It just, I, again, I, I'm glad I'm, I, obviously being a Laker general manager sounds like a great dream job on paper, <laughs> but I'm glad I don't have to make that decision of what to do yeah. with TH, or, uh, THT excuse me, and Schroeder, but especially and THT Caruso. because... And Caruso. I mean, look, I think there is room on a championship team for all four of these guys, and the fourth one being KCP, who we've also locked into a contract. Um, KCP can defend one through three. Caruso doesn't need many minutes. I think the you know, bulk of the minutes can go to Schroeder and THT, and it would all, all be fine. Um, the question is, how do you make that work financially uh, with some of the other contracts we have? And I think you begin running into a situation where you're retaining valuable guys for sure, but all of a sudden your entire bench is making $10 million or more. And then it's very easy that we become the Golden State Warriors. I mean, obviously not to that extent, but I can see where uh, the Lakers find themselves in somewhat of a pinch. And I, I think because of all of those things, I think this is just my prediction. I don't think they're going to come to an extension agreement with Schroeder this year, at least until the season ends, because I think they just want to see maybe what the market looks like for both Caruso and THT and then make their decisions there. Because, I mean, unless they can get Schroeder for $18 million, but I mean, I doubt that's going to happen. Um, But otherwise, I think they want to just see where everything pans out first, because it would be crazy if they just decide, all right, Schroeder, $22 million a year extension. And then, oh my God, let's just pray that Caruso and THT get somewhat uh, reasonable deals and nobody tries to poach them away from us, right? So um, I, right now, I don't mind eventually giving him that. I just don't think it'll happen before the season ends. And I agree with you that I think Schroeder, this is his, this regular season is his ramp up period for the playoffs where he should prove his value and worth. Kind of the same with Wes Matthews and Markeith Morris. But so far, I've been really encouraged by one, the most consistent thing about him being his defense and his uh, tenacity and activity on that end. And, you know, just being that sort of hustle guy that I think seems to also be the identity of this team, right? Uh, that's carried over from last year, just due to bring the energy. Um, but and I, yeah. And, and I think he has a lot of room to improve. I mean, Schroeder, like everybody, oh, yeah. the question with him coming into the season was, will he keep up his shooting from last year? And he is actually, I mean, he's shooting worse from three than he has. I think this is the second worst season of his career. So what we're seeing is a, is not just like, oh, well, maybe last year was a fluke. Okay, even if we accept that last year was a fluke, he is well below his career averages from three. Um, otherwise, you know, he's shooting worse than he shot in either season with OKC. Um, he's shooting worse than, you know, some his later years with the Hawks. There was one year where he, you know, shot as poorly as he is right now. And otherwise, this is like an anomaly, uh, if anything, for him. So if that number starts to go up to... You know, he starts looking more efficient all around. Um, and and yeah, I mean, the defense, the efficiency, it's just so hard to replicate. I hope we can keep him. I hope we can keep THT. You know, it's something has to give at some point. But right. I mean, this, these two guys in the backcourt next to LeBron and AD, is, that's going to keep us dangerous for several years. Yeah. Great segue. Let's close this episode by talking about Mr. THT. 
last night he had eight points, uh, two steals, two blocks, five rebounds. He had that ridiculous spin into the lane into his patented reverse layup. Uh, just so crazy, good. crazy stuff that he's doing on both ends uh, these last few games. I mean, the biggest game he had was, of course, against Denver, where we held them to like 14 points in each of the last two quarters or whatever and really uh, clamped down on defense. But and THT was a big part of that. He had three steals and one block and was really harassing guys like Jamal Murray. But in that game... In only 22 minutes, he had 17 points and 8 of 12 shooting. And by the way, this is his second game scoring 17 points in under in 22 minutes or less because he did this against Houston too, where in 20 minutes he shot 7 of 8 from the field and got 17 points. The fact that this dude is doing this, you know, in 22 minutes or less is ridiculous. And now that he's impacting the game on the defensive end, there are still some lapses here or there in terms of off-ball defense and team defense. But the way that he's just able to cause so much havoc, even if it's not his own guy, has been crazy to see. And it just kind of ignites our transition offense because it, like the defensive plays he makes are not really intuitive or expected. And I guess you can say that about his entire game. You're like, you don't really expect yeah. anything to happen the way that he makes things happen. And so especially on defense, it's just immediate. We're able to leak out because of his uh, interceptions, his uh, deflections and all that stuff. And then on offense, his ability to just break guys off the dribble and then use his body to rub up against people. And that's actually more of his patented move, too, just like getting the body contact, using his body to shield away defenders and then letting his length take it from there is uncanny type stuff. And uh, it's just crazy to watch this guy grow. I think like per 36 wise, he's averaging two steals a game. And if you play fantasy basketball, I mean, if Taylor Horton Tucker was getting like 30 minutes, this dude would be averaging like two steals a game, 1.5 blocks, and he's he'd be money on those defensive categories. But yeah, what have your thoughts been on, on THT recently? Pretty much the moment uh, Frank Vogel decided to reintegrate him into the rotation after giving him a couple t- uh, DNPs, it's been off to the races from there. Yeah, so THT is interesting because, I, you know, he got off to such a hot shooting start in the preseason. And uh, like you recall, those he had some games where he just hit tons of threes and scored 30 points. You remember those games? Yeah. And then he had some like games early in the season. I think in like the four games in December, he was shooting high thirties from three, um, which was great. And that regressed and, and whatever, he's a young player. Frankly, he should barely, I mean, to, for him to shoot 30% from three this year would be incredible because he was not that great of a shooter, even in the G league last year. Um, so that number regressed, but he didn't let that get him down. And this was like kind of a critique I had of Kuzma in prior years. Um, you know, not this year, Kuzma, but in, in some past years, I, you know, I'd look at Kuzma and be like, wow, he is letting the fact that he can't make a three impact every other aspect of his game. Like his defense would go down at times, his playmaking and decision-making would go away. THT just stays locked in. He knows that his shot is not super reliable at this point. So he doesn't overdo it unless he's wide open from three. And he, it's crazy because he's like very inexperienced. You know exactly what he wants to do is get to the rim and nobody can seem to stop him. (laughs) Like, I mean, nobody can stop him. It's it's just so crazy. He's shooting 46% from the field. And again, the only thing he wants to do is get to the rim as a 6'4 guard. Like, you just don't see this kind of stuff. You were talking about the steal and block numbers. 
He's averaging six, uh, six, six, six steals. steals. He's, averaging, <laughs> he's averaging two steals a game over the last six games. Um, he's averaging like about a block a game over that same time ish. Um, a block a game for a six four guard, dude. Yeah, you know. So it's like this is just stuff that we haven't really seen before. I've been waiting for like his comeback down to reality moment. I think early in the season, you know, early January, I would comment sometimes to you like, ah. Uh, you know, THT, this is, like, why probably Frank is going to hesitate to play him late in games. Like, he tends to fall asleep away from the ball, and it's going to lead to some issues like this. The frequency of that for a young, you know, 20-year-old player has gone down so significantly. Um, he doesn't – does he make those mistakes? Sure. Maybe you notice him a little bit more because he's 20. But, I mean, it's, like, the same types of mistakes that, frankly, even veterans sometimes make. He has to still continue to ramp that up if he wants to be a rotation player heading into the playoffs and the deep season, But which I think he will be, by the way, at this point. But he has significantly improved in that area. On the ball, significantly improved. I mean, I, I, I alluded to this earlier, but when he can test guys, it's like his, his wingspan is so long that it's, like, confusing to people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you can tell that, like, sometimes guards are – it's, it becomes muscle memory, right? Like these guys are professional athletes. They do this. I mean, they practice shooting thousands of times and, you know, and, and uh, sometimes a thousand times a day taking jump shots or whatever. Um, they get used to the muscle memory of how, how do I shoot normally? How do I slightly af- affect, uh, alter my shot? If, you know, a person, this, uh, some, a point guard's defending me, a taller wing is defending me, a big man's defending, you know, they've got all this down to like muscle memory. And you can tell that, like, sometimes these guards will take, like, three-point shots, and THT's arm will just, like, keep going. And at the very last millisecond, you'll see them kind of twitch their form. And that is causing so many misses. I mean, I you know, I'm sure there's some stats nerds out there who could, like, find the analytics of, like, how guys, you know, when when THT is defending threes, what is the percentage? It has Mm -hmm. to be, like, so much lower than the league average, but... It it it's like watching things like that has been super impressive. He always has energy. Um, Sorry, one thing I wanted to one thing I wanted yeah, to yeah. add in terms of that the contesting shots thing is like, like you mentioned, you know what it feels like to go up against like a shooting guard or a point guard, which is the position he plays. And then these guys right. are sort of realizing, oh my god, it's actually Brandon Ingram on me. You know, the height is know, de- the height is deceptive uh, because you can approximate this guy's only six five. How much damage can he do? And then all of a sudden, you realize. I think he has the same – no, he doesn't have – maybe Ingram has maybe one or two inches on him wingspan-wise. But that's it. And that's nuts at that position. And that's nuts, yeah. One one additional thing I'll add is – and maybe this is – you know, maybe you could view this as a detriment sometimes because he's able to sweep things under the rug. But at his age and at his, at his prime, I don't think it's that much of a problem. But he almost has like a second last line of defense because of his length where if he gets blown yep. by – it's almost like the JaVale McGee factor, but imagine JaVale McGee in his prime, right? Where he almost wanted you to get by him because that was his tactic. And I'm not saying this is what yeah. THT is doing, but he's he's trying to learn the game of defense. But he knows that even if you get by him, he'll just put his hand out there and reach, reach. And he's not going to get the foul call because it's such a clean strip because his hands are so huge too that he does have that maybe second or third last line of defense that you're not expecting because, and Pete mentioned this in his last podcast, where you're already making your gather move because you you think you're home free, but you're not because THT is that long. So yeah. it, it's crazy that, you know, 
it, this is all instinctual for him right now, but the moment you add that just natural experience and he gains that savviness, I mean, look out. And then uh, one thing I'll add offensively is he's driving to the rim each and every time, but he's currently, because he's young, not getting any free throws or getting to the oh, line. But, no calls, yeah. but when that comes around, dude, and he's a good free throw shooter, when that comes yeah. around, it's going to be, it's over. Uh, but yeah, oh, finish up your over. thoughts on THT. No, no. And to your free throw point, he's, I mean, yeah, limited attempts. So he's only averaging one a game, but, um, you know, he's shooting 86%. I mean, you know, maybe that yeah. goes down with increased volume, but he's had some games where he's gone four for four this season, two for two, you know, so he can hit free throws. He's not like a, his shot is not completely broken. Um, he just needs to work on that three ball. But yeah, you, I mean, on, on the defensive point you were making, he's lear- learning the angles and, you know, the same principle I was discussing applies to that too. It's like guards will get by him and they're used to blowing by other guards and knowing what it feels like to finish after that. And they go up for their same layup. They always do. And all of a sudden extendo arm comes out of nowhere <laughs> and like, and just like it swats the crap out of it. And, and, you know, so it, it, it's been really, really fun to watch his growth. The sky is the limit for this guy, because when you play defense like this at this young of an age, and you can see the flashes of where his offense could potentially go. I mean, could you imagine? He's doing this on the championship team. I, like, frankly, at 20 years old, like, that was the age that, you know, rookie, uh, excuse me, not rookie, but I guess second-year Ingram, second-year Lonzo. Like, I, okay, Brandon Ingram is an all-star. Lonzo is, you know, starting to turn things around a little bit. But those guys were number two picks, and I don't recall feeling like this when they would come into games. And, yeah. and by the way, those guys were on teams that were not competitive and they were like the focal point and got to do whatever they wanted yep. with limited consequence. So on a team where THT is held to such a high standard and he continues to go out there and just beat guys, it's it's been very, very fun to watch. Yeah, and I think he's much more refined than those guys too, even at this age. And that's why I kind of compare his trajectory more to Andrew Bynum in terms of this freakish guy who's just kind of working off of his own talent, but it's all sort of there. You're just waiting for the experience to catch up so that everything locks into place. And when that happened for Bynum, he was literally like one of the best centers in the league out of nowhere, you know, like out of nowhere. Um, And THT's preseason free throw percentage, by the way, was 89%. He shot 17 of 19 uh, through four games. So I definitely think that's real. It's just a matter of waiting for the calls to catch up as well, because I think he's mesmerizing even the refs. So um, he's just mesmerizing everybody. Uh, so with that said, I think we'll end it right there. There's tons of time to talk about uh, THT and his continued growth and how that continues to coincide with Schroeder getting more comfortable, with Frank Vogel continuing to Rubik's Cube these rotations and do this uh, juggling act that he's been doing. By the way, the title of this episode is called The Juggle Book. Anyways, like Jungle Book. But anyways, that'll do it uh, for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. We are still waiting for more 2021 reviews uh, for this uh, new year that we hope is less pandemic-ridden than the last. And uh, yeah, I will catch you later, Tommy. Later. Peace.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.